Mason, how we doing? All right, can you hear me? Yeah, I got you now. Let's go. How we doing? I'm doing well, man. How are you? Uh, pretty good. Life's good, man. <laughs> how how um, much of, how much of your happiness is is rooted in Pelican success? <laughs> um, a good bit. I would be doing a disservice to uh, life events if I didn't mention that. Uh, we're expecting our first child in about a week and a half, and so it's a uh, it's a combination of things. I'll say that. <laughs> there you go, man. There you go, man. Are you have you read the baby books? Are you ready? Are you prepared? <laughs> um, I went to a class and took notes. Does that count? Um, yeah. Will you, will you will you be? Are you a refer to notes guy? Like, will you have them ready um, at the hip whenever a moment is uh, is, is necessary? I will, let's, let's say yes. I, I would like to think so. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. I'm probably more of a Google person, but, um, right, but, we'll, but you know. <laughs> let's see. There you go. Well, we've got halftime with Bucks Warriors, which hopefully we'll have more of a stream of people popping in here to the show. But thank you for joining in here, man. It's uh, an exciting time at the Blender. And I figured after... Seeing your extensive thread about why Pelicans fans were clowning Chris Paul, um, <laughs> I wanted to get, as we wrote in the description here, I wanted to get the Crown Prince of Pelicans trolls on here to kind of puff your chest out and give you the platform to kind of talk some, some Pelican shit right now. So here we go, man. <laughs> well... Um, I'm not sure if I'm ready to, to, to talk too much Pelican shit because, um, you know, this isn't, this isn't a place we've been that much. And so I feel like if I go too far, I'm going to end up jinxing the team. And so, um, we're obviously all, all pumped to, uh, to, to see the Pelicans atop the Western conference. And, you know, for a lot of reasons, I think, you know, you think the success is sustainable, whether or not, I think that the big question, the one that I think a lot of folks are hitting on the national media now is, is really, is this team a contender or, or how, cl how close are they to actually being one of the teams that you can buy into potentially winning the NBA title. And I think that like in, in the West, you can make a good argument that that the, the, the conference championship might be up for grabs. The, the NBA final is a little bit tougher because I, I think you, know, you got the, the Celtics and Bucks that are um, maybe uh, a, a step above everyone else right now, but the, the, look, there's their arguments and, and that's something you could not say about this New Orleans Pelicans team for uh, <laughs> forever uh, almost since probably like 2008. That's probably the last time you could like feel pretty confident about about the, the, this team and being a legit threat. You sound like someone who works for the team and and the and the passiveness of trying to delay <laughs> fully accepting that these are just what the stakes are right now. Everyone, you know, it's early. We really like we're building. We don't want to jinx it. We don't want to get ourselves. Well, I mean, I think it's it's just the, the New Orleanian fandom, um, you know, growing up uh, with the and the New Orleans Saints being terrible uh, there. I mean, they were terrible for their entire existence until the Drew, Drew Brees came. And so, you know, used to seeing teams be bad for a long time. And so it's kind of like you, you want to see the team prove it before you actually feel like you can buy in or else, uh, you know, it's not it's not real. So um, part of part of it just being part of the city. <laughs> So, I mean, to me, big picture, looking at where this team presently stands, being that at the top of the West, Zion's healthy. Willie Green is proven to be a pretty damn good coach. They've got this Pelic this Lakers pick that seems 
all but destined to be gift wrapped at some capacity um, come lottery night, come June. Like, if you zoom back, if you flash back to this time last year, <laughs> when the team was like one in fifteen or whatever the record was at at its at its doomsdayest, and literally everybody in the league was speaking about David Griffin as a dead man walking in terms of his executive status. We're just, we're just speaking in, in candor here. That's just what it was. Yep. How surreal does the turnaround feel? Or does it feel like this was why the situation felt so dire a year ago because everyone also understood how high the ceiling could have been? Yeah, it was it was dark. Um, look, this team, it was tough because you thought this team had something last offseason. And you had there was all the, uh, the the conversation about, well, we thought Zion was going to be healthy for opening opening night. And then that got pushed back. And obviously, he never played last year. But that was really the first uh, challenge. And then you had the early injuries to uh, to, to Brandon Ingram and and. You know, surprisingly, the Herb Jones, that, that, that injury early on, it mattered so much. I think it was a, like a teammate that concussed him and just peaked Pelican's bad luck. Um, but, but they, they dug themselves such a, such a hole last year that you just, you know, you, you were, you were forced to ask these tough questions about the team, about, um, you know, whether they could put a, you know, a, a team that was good enough around Zion if he ever were to, were to get healthy. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it was tough. And, and this team, you know, all the credit in the world to Willie Green for being the kind of coach and human being that he is to, to really get this team moving in the right direction. And they were able to make that, you know, trade with with um, Portland at the deadline and get CJ McCollum. And um, I, I think a, a trade that everyone in the Pelicans fan base liked, thought it was a good move. Josh Hart was fantastic for New Orleans. He was kind of a fan favorite. And so it was a tough pill to swallow. But one you take every time, getting a guy like CJ, a player like CJ, and someone who has the clout that CJ does um, into the organization. And I think you saw it, you know, it's paying dividends. Um, and, and the team's just been able to build up some respect with that first round playoff series against Phoenix. Um, and, and here we are. And so it's just, it's been just a, a, a you know, really almost straight uh, upswing for this team over the last, you know, six to nine months. And so it's, uh, it's been, been fun to watch and certainly uh, relatively unexpected. Larry Nance, I thought was at the time, I mean, I've always forever. And it's, a, it's a part of reporting when you sit down with a player and you tell their story, it's kind of hard to not be a little biased. And I sure. remember I did a story with Larry when he was with the Lakers that, there was some pen pal. Well, you know how maybe you did this yourself, man. In, in elementary school, how students will have like a pen pal with like a soldier overseas somewhere or something. Um, so somehow he got back in touch with the woman that he was writing with as a as a kid, and like brought her to a Lakers game, which was a nice little story. Yeah, and like he's just always been someone I I rooted for since then, and and found value in what he brought um and i remember people on the league were kind of talking about larry nance at the time of last year's deadline as just a throw-in yeah to that cj deal and he is far more than that i mean he's a yes. clear defensive chess piece that seems to be one of the key ingredients to that bench unit 
Yeah, um, no doubt. And I, I want to believe that the reason Larry Nance was was talked about like that was because he's he's had some injury trial, uh, it was. You know, challenges. It so it was the injuries. Yeah, and so look, uh, the, the team let him gave him time to get healthy last year. He got back as the team was getting ready for the playoffs, and he's been, you know, in, he's had his had his role continue to increase. I mean, he was a key cog in the playoff series, and you know, it didn't work out the way they hoped. Where you know, you, you see Jonas, who's been also fantastic for this team, getting you know, getting beat apart in the pick and roll with Chris Paul. Larry Nance didn't fare that much better, but I mean, he gives you that chess piece to be able, and, and he's played a lot with Zion this year in that four or five um, kind of bench lineup sometimes. And, and, and Larry Nance has closed a lot of games. Um, like, you know, he's, he's, he gives you a little more versatility on the defensive side of the ball. Um, you've got some with him and Zion, um, you've got some really fun help defenders and, and interior defenders who can, you know, come from a weak side and get a, an awesome block. They're doing that a ton this year. Um, and so, yeah, he, he's been he's been a key piece. And, and really, the, I think the big story beyond Zion um, has been the depth of this team. I mean, they've got 11 different players have played at least 350 minutes for this team. And I was looking like just comparing them, like Boston's at like eight players who have done that. And so this all out of necessity, partially, but they've just got a lot of guys who can who can play and who can be trusted when Devontae Graham's your 11th man. I think you're, you're doing OK. And so you know, Larry Nance is one of the best uh, you know, bench players they have. Um, but really, I mean, the depth of this team has, has been so impressive. Let's take a step towards the Phoenix of this whole equation in that, to me, it's becoming one of the better rivalries in the NBA in that there, there's just so much petty. And <laughs> the history with Willie Green being, you know, a, a descendant, a disciple of Monty Williams in some, in some respects and coming from that mm-hmm. team and the fact that, and I wrote it at the time. I will keep saying it, that I think, as much as the Pelicans believed in Willie um, and and thought he'd be a, a good congruent piece with their leadership structure, they also definitely were hoping that he could help play a factor in maybe stealing Chris Paul from Phoenix in free agency after that Finals run, when there was some skepticism around the league and definitely in Phoenix that. Robert Sarver at the time, the owner, uh, was going to be willing to shell out the shekels that Chris Paul wanted, right? So mm-hmm. to, to be at this point now where I had that playoff series last year, have all this kind of bad blood brewing between Jose Alvarado and Paul, and like now Chris Paul might be turning into like public enemy number whatever of <laughs> Elegance fans. It's just a wild story to me. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. And so, look, I, I think most Pelicans fans, or you know, even back then, the Hornets fans, and Chris Paul was 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 in New Orleans. I mean, nothing but respect for the guy, um, you know, and and what he did for the city. Uh, and I, I think that's very, you know, it, I I can't stress that enough. Uh, I mean, when he left, I think it was a tough pill to swallow for. The, it certainly was a tough pill to swallow for the for the fan base, but. The, the NBA owned the team at the time. I mean, you cannot fault Chris Paul for, for leaving. I mean, the way that he left and the circumstances around which that he left were a little different than the next superstar who, who left New Orleans, uh, you know, just, just, uh, you know, a couple of years ago. But, um, so I, I, I feel like those, those, those are very different circumstances and want to make sure that's, you know, that's clear. But I think what's going on recently has really created a, a a good reason for fans to kind of boo him and, and be upset with him and, and kind of the repeated, um, antics, I'll, I'll put it politely, with with Jose Alvarado, even from the playoffs and 
uh, kicks to, um, to the groin area to, um, just, you know, little to, to, to not so little things, um, and specifically with just Jose. And so it, it really has been perplexing, I think, for, for Pelicans fans and unnecessary, I think. And, and look, Chris Paul has got a, a history of doing some of this stuff and, and there's gamesmanship. Which is, you know, you know, when you're, you know, the, the, the James Harden kind of craftiness trying to trying to, to draw fouls, bait defenders. That's 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 fair game. It's just, you know, any sort of stuff that can injure opponents is is a little bit, you know, um, that that's that, I think that's where the fan base draws a line. Do you think, from just being following this team night night to night, do you think the Pelicans players and the organization has kind of? Uh, a bigger chip on their shoulder, like punching up at the big brother, you know, type stuff. Like there may be, you know, I'm not saying this is the, the bad boys Pistons that, and, and, and the Celtics that Michael Jordan had to get through. <laughs> but is, do you think there might be some of that type of like, this is a team that has been to the finals. That's supposed to be, you know, the leading, the leading contender in our conference that we feel like we need to get through in order to get to that level, as opposed to just any other team. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think, look, every NBA player is going to be a competitor. And even if you've got a one versus an eight seed, um, you're going to, you're going to have players in that locker room who feel like they're the better team and they can win the series. I think that was, um, that wasn't your typical one versus eight seed matchup. Um, just because of what New Orleans did midseason and the way they've been playing. I think, you know, with CJ last year, they had been playing at about a, you know, mid to high forties win pace. Uh, I think something like 46 wins or so. Um, and so, they, you know, they were, they were a decent team. Um, and so they came in to that Sun series feeling like they had something to prove. And even if they weren't going to win that series, they wanted to make it, a, they wanted to, to fight. Uh, like, like Willie Green said, you got to fight. Uh, and, and they did. I mean, they took it to six games. Um, Booker wasn't healthy for all of it, but you know what? Pelicans had a Zion Williamson size hole themselves. So I don't think they're ready to take that as an excuse. Um, and so it was a really hard fought series in six games. Um, you know, I, I think the, the, the fan base was, was hoping they could push the seven. At, um, but you know, it, it's, I, I think that there is certainly, there was some bad blood that brewed during that series. Um, there's a lot of connections, as you noted, with Willie Green, even Monty Williams, who was a coach of New Orleans, uh, yep. a few years back. Um, and so, um, look, I think there's, there's some mutual respect in most cases, but there's, there's certainly some, uh, I think, I, I don't, I, I don't know about rivalry quite yet. Um, but it's, it's getting pretty close. Yeah. I think we get another playoff series and maybe that it will become officially, yeah. uh, a footnote of this era. Uh, I mean, yeah. it's also exciting to me as uh, an observer of the league that, I mean, Devin Booker isn't going anywhere. DeAndre Ayton, we'll see what his long-term future is with Phoenix after their curious handling of his contract situation in the past year. Um, but, like, it seems like with Phoenix and with Memphis and – Maybe even we're seeing it a bit with Sacramento here, um, and Denver's got you know a, a, a crew of guys that are all you know yet to really enter their primes. There's, there's a cohort of young teams that seem like they're kind of rising at the same timeline. That could be very exciting in the West for a couple of years. Could be pretty challenging for those teams to leapfrog one another and, and, and emerge victorious from that muck. But it'll be good for us. I'm losing to me.
Yeah, it sounds like your audio keeps going in and out. How about now? Yeah, we're good. We're back. Um, my phone will be better audio now. Um, yeah, it's actually it's it's still kind of fading in now. Okay, <laughs> great. Well, um, okay. So hopefully, this, I can switch to my phone. No, it's all good. It's all good. Um, I will, give me a second here. Sorry about that. We've run through our share of technical difficulties on the call-in app. It is okay. In the meantime, if anyone listening wants to pop on and throw us a question. Feel free. Can you hear me? We got Mason back. There we go. I switched to my phone. Sorry. Uh, I think it's... You've got... Denver. You keep still popping in and out, unfortunately. Still having trouble? It's like every couple words. Okay. Uh, so far. Still having trouble? I, I hear you. Okay. No, yeah, it just sounds like you've got a bad connection, unfortunately. We've got a question. Give me a second. Will. Yeah, hear me, Jake? I got you. I got you. How are we doing? Oh, doing well, man. Um, appreciate you accepting my call. Enjoy your work. I enjoy Mason and Shamus' work. Um, I just have one question for you. Thank you. Obvious that the Pelicans, you know, we're in a really good spot right now. But there's two things that I notice about the team that I think we can improve on. One of them being rim protection. Even though we've been okay at that, that's one thing I think we still can improve on. And obviously, we're reluctant sometimes to shoot the three. So do you have any information if we're working the phones on any marginal trades or anything like that for rim protection or three-point shooting? Yeah, it's a great question. I definitely, that, that's where I was going to move the conversation with Mason. I wanted to hear as a, as a fan and close observer what he, what he wants them to do. So um, hopefully he'll be, he'll be back and we can spin it towards him too. But I think um, ultimately – 
dating back to last um to last summer is that and i think especially now with zion potentially playing at an all nba pace which will impact his supermax um and further put pressure on new orleans's tax bill which has been routinely stressed behind the scenes as like a factor in the pelicans team building conversation um Devontae Graham being, <clears throat> excuse me, being this, this great 11th man that Mason referred to, he is a luxury in that respect, but he also is a bit of a, a clog on the salary books. And I, I, I would certainly expect them to continue to look to explore for ways to move in. That's That's been repeated to me several times here in the last couple of weeks as we get up and get ready for December 15th on Thursday. Um in terms of targets for them for wind protection and shooting or any target in general, I mean, they, they probably have a few. It's they're across the league. There are a few teams that have like clear cut. This team is looking to get this guy. And even like, you know, I've been asking people on the league this week, for example, trying to figure out who Milwaukee could theory could theoretically be targeting as a backup. If they aren't able to get Jay Crowder, as we know, Jay Crowder, but like, it's hard to find out. Right. It's been a bit challenging to find out, you know, the full picture here because things are a bit early and um, everyone tries to downplay the severity of discussions. So I don't know of any targets at this point in time that I think the Pelicans are looking at, but Devontae's definitely a piece they've got um, to exchange out the door. And I think there's interest in bringing back Jackson Hayes, but I also think that or I, I heard extension isn't exactly something that's like moving along. Uh, I don't even know what they're, where things stand, if they're allowed to talk about that, but um, like, it doesn't seem like he's someone who's guaranteed to be like a part of the team's long-term future. I'd say he isn't, but I feel like he's, if, if there comes a time where the Pelicans do need to put, someone on the table to go make a, a market move forward, I would think he'd be considered expendable in that regard. So that, uh, how about that? Yeah, I think you got me now. I got you, Mason. All right. All right. We'll see how long this lasts for, but um, I, I, I think everything you said makes makes perfect sense. I mean, I think this team, as as good as they are right now, you can't be you can't be satisfied. The one thing we know about the NBA is, um, you know, every time you think you have a title window, it's going to be shorter than you think it was. <laughs> it, it will be, and so the, the the Pelicans are are definitely you know they they should be thinking about how they can upgrade the roster, and and I think you know they they, they need to figure out the big the big question is what what's the right fit next to Zion? He's such a unique talent, but also he creates some challenges as far as how you build the roster around him the right way. I think, I think what he's shown over the last few games without BI and, and even recently some of how the Pelicans have closed some games and even dating back to his rookie year and playing to Steven Adams, he, he doesn't need that much spacing to just dominate. And, and, and that is such a luxury for the Pelicans and gives them some options. But obviously you want to put as much floor spacing and shooting around him as you can to maximize the offense. And so, you know, I, I think that when you, when you look at what to, you know, what move to make, I don't think the Pelicans should 
you know, make, just go get whoever they can but find the best possible player. I think they've got the luxury of time on their side to a degree and they have, but, and, but they, and they have the, the assets and the pieces to put on the table to, to go get um, a, a lot of uh, a different possible players um, it just with, with, with the resources they have at their disposal. But, um, you know, I, I think that the, the, the topic that was raised around rim protection, I, I think that's fair. The defense has been really good. Um, they don't really have your traditional rim protector, but they've been able to sustain a pretty strong defense regardless. Um, and, and so, um, you know, I, I look at more if you're going to if you're going to look to the front court, you want to make sure who you're putting next to Zion. You've got enough rebounding because that's, you know, beyond Jonas, the Pelicans don't have a, a, like a, a super rebounder apart from like Billy Hernan Gomez, who isn't isn't playing until and, you know, <laughs> late in the games and he's not really a core rotation player. So. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think this, the team has time to figure out what that right move is for them. I thought Hernan Gomez was going to get a shot this year to be more of a backup big. I I really liked what I saw from him at Eurobasket, and he seemed like he was playing with the most confidence he'd played in for a long time, and I was curious if that would be able to translate to a certain, to a certain degree. Like, I, I was confident it would for Larry Markin, and I didn't think Larry Markin would be an all-star caliber player. I thought he'd be able to put up, you know, pretty, uh, pretty impressive numbers. I thought he'd be more of like posting Thad Young numbers when Thad was with the Sixers during the process years type stuff. But I thought Hernan Gomez would be able to find. I mean, do you do you have any thoughts on to why he hasn't been able to to kind of cement himself in that role? I mean, one's just the straight up depth of this team. Uh, it's tough, uh, but but also it's it's really. He's he just struggles defensively. I think I, I will say he played against Jokic because Jonas got into foul trouble against Denver, and he he, he did a, a magnificent job. I mean, he came in and just did exactly what they needed him to do, and they won that game. Um, but I, just just defensively, he's he's a rebounding machine, and that's something the Pelicans have a critical need for. Um, but he, he's just he's he, he's he's not going to be a guy who can be that versatile defensively. He's not really protecting the the rim that well, and so you basically when he's in. You just have to outscore the opponent, and, and so it it only it, it works as much as it has it has to, I guess. And so there's just uh, you know I think there's just too many guys ahead of him that need minutes. Um, but but you know I, I think that he's he's been a, a great guy in the locker room. I think the team loves having him. He's always got a smile on his face, and um, you know if, if he ends up being part of a trade because he wants to find a place that has where he can get more minutes, I think that's totally fair game. Make uh, um. Rival GM A B C D E F G. Make, make, make a pitch for why Devontae Graham has real trade value. <laughs> um, well, you know, so Devontae's been pretty good this year. Um, you know, last year there was it was a struggle. Um, the, the whole you know uh, thought process I think around why they went to get him is someone who can help space the floor for Zion. Of course, Zion didn't play last year, but um, Devontae has you know if, if you look through the cross and I'm gonna I'm gonna cite uh, Schmidt here who who made a, a really good comment about a week ago with the Pelicans and it's got to be more true now is that every single player on the Pelicans has uh, a positive on-court net rating and so the Pel- there's no one who's who's you know negatively impacting this team Devontae Graham is a, he will shoot the ball from anywhere uh, he's he's a he's a strong shot maker and he's really he's 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 helping uh, others uh, get, get good looks too. And so he's been part of this bench mob for the Pelicans. It's been very, uh, very successful. Um, and I think really, as long as you're a team that, that um, you don't have to put another small guard next to him, 
the the Pelicans have shown there's plenty of ways you can create a successful a successful lineup with Devontae Graham in it. Um, and, and, and so he gives you a lot on offense. And again, as long as you've got enough size around him, um, it, you can also uh, make it work pretty well defensively too. Is there an underlying storyline or, or a major storyline about this team that you're paying attention to that, that we haven't talked about that maybe even people who aren't so closely following this team or are, uh, are abreast of? Um, I don't want to say storyline, but I think something I'm paying attention to is um, how good the defense has been without the team's best defensive player. Um, and so Herb Jones is supposed to come back tonight. Um, and and so, I mean, I, I've been talking to you. I'm sure the starting lineup's already come out. But uh, um, I, I think last year the defense absolutely tanked when, when Herb Jones was not in the game. Was not on, like he, he, was, he was an immensely positive player. He still is. But the fact that the Pelicans have been able to put enough pieces around the team and, and really and the coaching staff has been able to, you know, instill the right defensive principles uh, up and down the roster. It's just notable that the Pelicans have been such a good defensive team and, and credit to Najee Marshall, credit to rookie Dyson Daniels. So I think that's something that that's kind of that I'm paying attention to is that the, the Pelicans, I mean, the, the, they've been a, a top five defensive team, but they have also multiple stoppers now once Herb Jones comes back that, you know, Herb, Dyson, Najee, all these guys that they can throw it at elite scorers and you're not going to stop them, but you can slow them down. You have the ability to, if someone has to pick, someone picks up two fouls early, you can replace them with someone else who's really going to be tough. And so I think the number of, you know, high intensity and, and, and plus defenders the Pelicans have, it's something that I think, most people did not expect from this team. They expected the Pelicans to be an offensive juggernaut and struggle defensively. And so the fact that they've been so good defensively this year, again, there's some three-point shooting variants in there. They've been a little fortunate from that respect. But they've been a good defensive team no matter how you slice it. And I think that's something that um, th to be able to do that without Herb Jones for the last couple of weeks, I think, is even more impressive. Well, I saw it up close and personal night one, opening night at Barclays Center. I mean, this is just this is just a team that's got some shit to them. Like, they're gonna come out there and they're gonna they're gonna punch you in the mouth. Like, that's just kind of apparent and obvious. And maybe it's emphasized by how they've got just a ton of length and athletes who fly around and can switch and attack the glass and aren't afraid and aren't backing down. I mean, the whole won't back down uh, mm -hmm. tagline for the team. I know people were kind of like snickering about it, about like how it was some like kind of indirect nod to LeBron and the Lakers. Um, but like it is, that's kind of become a real ethos. It seems like about maybe it's not so, not so consciously, but it seems to be a, a pretty key part of the fabric and the culture of this team where, I mean, you can, I, I remember watching like Memphis and Minnesota last year and kind of looking at how that team would perform in high stress, big moments against, you know, championship caliber team, veteran team, what have you. Like for years, te teams and younger teams would always talk about how they were like afraid of playing the Spurs back in the day, right? Um, and I just like don't see the, I mean, the way that this team just smacks Phoenix back to back, it, it just, I think it's a testament to the type of, MO and the type of DNA that is on this roster as much as like talent or whatever. A lot of defense is just how nasty are you? You know? Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, we've, you know, Shabit and I on, on, uh, on our podcast in, in the know, um, we've talked, uh, 
uh, a, a little bit recently about what do they do when everyone's back? You know, part of it is, you know, you've got all these contributors, um, but when Ingram's back, when Herb Jones is back, like it's going to be really tough to find minutes for all these guys. And um, a, a lot of players who have earned it, uh, you know, whether it's last year staying patient and then this year come, you know, playing hard when their, their name has been called. Um, it really is um, to, to be able to keep that many players ready uh, to contribute at a high level. Again, it's it's a testament to the coaching staff. Um, it's in, you know, even the front office for bringing in the right guys. So um, the culture is great. Um, obviously, culture only lasts if you're winning basketball games. And so um, you, you want to hope to see that continue. But it's it's really all, all positive vibes uh, for New Orleans right now. So let's hope it lasts. All right. It's that time of the show. I'm putting you on the spot but it's your chance to put me on the spot. I've asked you a bunch of questions, so it's only fair. Would you like to ask me something? <laughs> um, obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm very – it seems like, uh, you know, we already got a little bit more of a general question about, you know, what are you are you hearing around the team, anything? I mean, are, I guess, what are you hearing from other teams about New Orleans? I mean, obviously, it's not just like, are they – you know, are they for real or not? It's more just like, do, do other teams think that New Orleans is going to be an active player um, in the trade market, you know, between December and February? Or is this, do they get the sense that New Orleans is really happy with, you know, they want to let this play out for a year and, and then, you know, figure out what moves they're going to make in the summer. Like what, what door would you expect the Pelicans to, to, to go, to go with um, whether it's, you know, kind of pre-deadline or just waiting till the summer to, to make any sort of bigger move. So, there's only a few teams that I think executives and, and, and staffers are, are prepared to do, are expecting to be sniffing around and really do something soon. You know, New York, Atlanta, Phoenix, um, Houston, the Lakers are probably the teams that seem the most active right now. Um, outside of that, I still think there's going to be a healthy majority of teams that hold their chips closer till February 9th and don't look to overreact or don't look to make any sweeping changes anytime soon. I do think the Pelicans fall into that category. Um, especially, you know, but by the time we get to February, if the, the aforementioned Lakers have decided to make some type of move with Russell Westbrook or with their Patrick Beverly, Kendrick Nunn combination or whatever, um, I think they'll have a better understanding of where th- this upcoming pick will be, right? Which I think will give them a better understanding of their overall asset cupboard and thinking bigger picture in terms of, I mean, they've got so many picks coming down the pipeline that it's just, it's kind of goes back to like where Boston was at the end of the Danny Ames tenure there, um, where the Thunder will eventually get to. Like, you can't just, be drafting player after player after player when you've got 11 guys on your team who are already in a a positive net rating, right? So I do think that they will probably, and as I said earlier, make it fun of you about how it's early and blah, blah, blah. I I, I think they're (laughs) going to be that. I haven't talked to anyone with New Orleans about anything other than just like, we're enjoying where we're at. Sure. The Devante stuff has been out there. um, But I think if we do see, I, I think they will make a move. I think they will do something. I mean, under, under David Griffin, they've been a pretty active front office, right? Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But 
I'm not expecting it to be anything anytime soon. I think they will continue to evaluate and see what the market and how it how it takes shape before they they make a, a splash of any of any kind. Yeah, that I mean makes makes sense. I think the very interesting uh, wrinkle is that Lakers pick, right? Because the 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 variance on what it could be is pretty significant at this point. And so, you know, as a, as a, as the Pelicans or as a different team, if you want to consider that as an asset that you can have outgoing for, for something to upgrade your roster, I mean, it's your, it's a, it's a very much a wild card. Um, and, and every, each team might value that, that pick very differently. And so um, I think that's something that's going to certainly um make 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 things interesting and that you know that, that that's it's also if the, Pel- the pelicans have a really good case to keep it because if, if the roster gets more expensive another first round pick um and you know uh, that's hopefully in the lottery um would would be very nice for new orleans as a way to kind of accumulate some down roster players and this 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 front office has shown the ability to land gems in the draft and so why would you want to move it unless you've got something something big right well let me ask you this before we get out of here if they get a top two pick, what would you want them to do? Oh, keep it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you have to. I, I don't. I don't think there's a tr- you know trade in the league that would make a lot of sense. Um, you know, how, yeah, uh, it, that's that would be the dream, obviously. There you go. All right. Well, anything you want to plug? Anything you want to? Anything else you want to say before you get out of here? I really appreciate the time, man. Yeah, well, yeah, again, sorry for the difficulties. I don't know what was going on. I, I could hear you crystal clear, um, and just I wasn't coming through, even though I've got this big fancy mic here. But, um, uh, yeah, so, again, Jake, thanks so much for, for having me. Um, so I, what I'm working on these days, I'm with Boot Crew Media, which is a, actually a, a local sports media network in New Orleans, um, so, and that's where uh, Schmidt and I are hosting our, our, our podcast, In the Know. Um, so check us out. Check out Boot Crew. We've got a, a few different – uh, folks contributing some really great work about the Pelicans uh, and, and really the NBA as a whole. So um, great, great group, great team. Um, and uh, love, love for you to, to see what we got over there. There you go. We will be back on Thursday um, with Kelly Eco, the athletic to talk some trade chatter uh, to Cornwise cracked in the comments, asking about Hawks news. I've got nothing like new to report right now. I'm working on some Hawks, tidbits and and following some breadcrumbs and we should have a notebook coming out on thursday uh with some some updates for everybody so that's all i got for now mason thanks again man enjoy enjoy the run i'm sure i'm sure it's been a blast and i'm sure it will continue to be yeah appreciate it all right take care everybody thank you